Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. I'm going to be talking to Shazan Siddiqui, who is a technology analyst with ID Tech X, about a new report, uh, Battery Swapping for Electric Vehicles 2022 to 2032, Technology Players and Forecasts. So welcome to the interview, Shazan. Hi, Mark. Thanks. Thanks for the uh, invite. I'm very happy to be here and uh, speak to you guys at Energy Media and look forward to answering some questions around battery swapping today. Well, I'm very interested in this topic because I have to confess that, you know, early on in the discussions around battery uh, swapping, I thought this might be an impractical technology, you know, just too cumbersome to use in day-to-day life, might have some niche markets, niche, niche applications, but really, but that's, it's kind of evolving and there are some distinct advantages for it. So could you give us a brief description, description, please, of battery as a service uh, business model? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start off with what exactly battery swapping is, if that's all right, to sure. easily ease ourselves into what exactly uh, the battery as a service or BAAS model achieves. So battery swapping in a nutshell is, is essentially where you take your depleted battery into a battery swapping station or BSS for short and get the battery replaced altogether rather than waiting for you for, for uh, the car, for the owner to charge it um, using uh, traditional conductive cable-based charging methods. Now, immediately, one of the biggest benefits is the time saved by the user, right? But more than just the obvious benefits that uh, battery swapping brings about, it brings about um, the advent of what's known as uh, the battery as a service business model, where essentially you can buy an EV without actually purchasing the costliest uh, component of the EV, which is the battery itself, which can often make up to about two thirds the cost of the EV. So with the battery as a service business model, which we're seeing a lot of these Chinese uh, OEMs now implement, uh, uh, you can essentially purchase the EV without uh, actually buying the battery that is installed in your car. So that battery is either owned by the EV OEM or a battery asset company. And essentially what that allows you to do is then rent the battery from these battery swapping stations and you only pay for the amount of swaps you do per month. So it's a really fascinating model because first of all, it really reduces the upfront purchase price of the EVs, which in the industry today is, is a common pain point for, for new consumers to sort of break into the market. Uh, but secondly, uh, and again, a more not so obvious benefit of battery as a service business model is that it allows the users to sort of um, stay up to date with the ever evolving battery chemistry. So uh, what's very interesting here now is that uh, I can give you an example as well. Um, NIO, which is an EV startup uh, from China and sort of the leading market player when it comes to battery swapping, has uh, initially offered its users um, an NMC battery, an NMC chemistry battery. Now, there's a particular type of uh, chemistry they chose for various reasons, but over time, they decided to evolve and use a hybrid chemistry where they used LF, LFP cells with NMC cells. And traditional automakers would have to, you know, have, uh, you know, massive recalls and maybe even offer a newer EV if they want to get this battery out there on the market. 
But with NEO, it was it was instant. It was overnight. Their cars could go from the traditional battery chemistries that they were used to to having these newer, more energy dense, longer range batteries. So that's sort of the biggest benefit here that uh, the battery swapping, batteries as service business model brings. Yeah, I can see that as a major advantage because I've interviewed a, a number of battery experts over the last year or two. And the impression that I take away from that conversation is that battery technology is evolving very rapidly. We're going to be seeing solid state, we're going to silicon anodes, all sorts of improvements in the performance and the energy density and, and range of these batteries. And that's a major consideration when you're buying an electric vehicle. You know, do I jump in now? Will I get X amount of range? Or do I jump in two years or three years down the road when I could be getting substantially more range? Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I can see where this batter, the, the battery swapping model would, would uh, be a big benefit in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, what about the different classes of vehicles? Now, I understand battery swapping for two and three wheel vehicles is really well established in in asia mm -hmm. that's correct yep uh, like you've said um across various vehicle segments uh you know battery swapping is a technology that's uh, fairly feasible as we've seen from various players um that's again something that uh, a lot of uh, people in the industry are very skeptical about but battery swapping is instead is in fact uh, quite a viable recharging option for cars like we've seen companies like neo um ample uh BAIC, Beijing EV, Alton, these are big Chinese players, American players who are now, you know, investing their money into launching swapping for cars. Uh, but besides that, we're also seeing this uh, move into the heavy duty segment uh, and the construction, agricultural mining segment. Uh, again, this vehicle segment is especially a promising candidate for battery swapping because of the, um, the difficulty in installing the charging infrastructure that's needed in those in those scenarios so a battery swapping scenario is much easier take for example uh, a bus that needs uh, that has a fixed operating pattern and has uh, you know uh, needs modest downtimes it cannot be sat there on a, in a depot charging it needs to be out there making money for its for its owners uh, in that sense battery swapping is is, is the best uh, recharging solution for them because essentially uh, it brings me back to my first point you can just go into a swap station get get your batteries changed around and the turnaround time and the throughput time is is is, is much faster so yeah we are seeing this technology uh, being used across various vehicle segments and uh, it's a matter of time um, where uh, we see more and more uh, segments take up this take up this technology well, I want to get back to the two and three wheelers because uh, I interviewed Bloomberg New NEF not that long ago, and they were talking about how not only is the number of two and three wheelers booming in Asia, but it's rapidly shifting from internal, you know, the small gas powered engine to the electric, uh, the electric motor. Uh, walk us through what that looks like. I, you know, I gather that at the the battery is uh, in a like a, a vending machine. And it's yeah. very easy and, and cheap for the for the user. Yep, that is true. Yeah, so um, we've seen a lot of companies do this, and uh, again, um, talking specifically with some examples in my head, um, companies like Gogoro, um, again a massive Taiwanese player of battery swapping in the two wheeler segment. They are essentially, like you said, uh, they're popping up with these networks of swap stations, which, which essentially look like vending machines. They're about the size of a vending machine as well, a similar footprint. They connect to the low to medium voltage grid. So no sort of special electrical infrastructure or grid upgrades needed. And yeah, they have uh, these sort of slots where these battery packs are stored. And for an average uh, 
uh, two-wheeler user, it's very simple. They just drive up to the nearest vending station, um, essentially using an app, which helps them find the nearest location. And once there, they just have to, you know, it's a, it's a manual self-service swap model. They pop open their boot, they take out the batteries, and then, uh, you know, they enter a sort of code that's been generated into the machine and it pops a new battery out and they just replace the depleted one with a fresh one. So it's it's a fairly simple sort of process and uh, we've seen very good adoption rates of this technology. So often with these new methodologies, you know, the, one of the problems in the market is how likely is the end user going to be able to um, sort of acclimatize to this, you know, um, but uh, with battery swapping, we've seen, especially if you take the example of Taiwan where they had a huge population of two wheelers, um, the, the recent sales figures show that uh, battery swapped swap-enabled two-wheelers are actually outselling uh, petrol uh, two-wheelers. So, so there's sort of great adoption and it's definitely a model which is very user-friendly. Now, I interviewed an economist from India about this and uh, her point was that different segments of the, of the population require uh, two and three wheelers at different prices. So if you're a delivery person, for instance, which is booming in the big cities of India, you need something that's really inexpensive and you don't want to buy the battery. You want to lease it. That's very important at the yeah. higher end of the uh, higher end of the market. And so these would be professionals maybe that are going, you know, they're taking a two wheeler into their office. They're okay with owning the battery and charge, yeah. charging it at home because they have better infrastructure, those sorts of things. Is, are yeah. we seeing that in other countries as well? Is that Can that observation be sort of generalized in the other Asian markets? Yeah, I, I wouldn't go into, um, I would not be able to tell you exactly if that's the sort of same, uh, you know, general consensus in other markets, but it would be, it would be, it would be a fair assumption to make that, you know, in, in the, uh, within the, uh, fast uh, commercial space, you know, where we've seen like delivery agents and uh, last end, end mile solutions. Yes, they would require cheaper, cheaper two wheelers. So for them, battery swapping would make a lot of sense. And then of course, yeah, the more high end users would, would, would also be a sort of viable use case for this. But uh, it's definitely something that's, I think, fairly common across the Asian Pacific market. So um, what India is uh, noticing is, is definitely something that you could expect to see in similar markets of, uh, say, China, Korea, Japan, and uh, others. One of the advantages, I would think, is that uh, you let's say that you you know wherever the the batteries are charged, you've got a battery charge. The company owns a you know that owns the the swapping uh, business, it owns the vending machines, and so on. Uh, it can build infrastructure to charge a lot of batteries in one place. So yeah. you don't have, you know, and, and I would, and then you can all be, it becomes a, a volume uh, kind of business. How fast, how many batteries can we do? How fast can we get them out the door? How fast can mm -hmm. we collect them and bring them back? That that's yeah. actually, there's, it sounds like there's a lot of efficiencies, which then lead to lower costs and then lead to greater adoption of the technology. Is that a fair observation? Yeah, absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, I'd say that's, uh, that's, that's pretty much the sort of, differentiating factor here now between the two-wheeler swapping players. So like you said, what we are seeing is the, the vast uh, expansion of networks. So the greater number of these vending machines that you can have dotted around the city, the higher, the more likely you are uh, to you know, capture a greater market share. And then again, like you said, with the collection and the charging of these batteries, and it's all it all boils down to a volume game. You are right. You're absolutely right in that sense. And uh, if you do notice the sort of bigger players in the market and... Uh, um, try and notice what they're doing differently. It is the fact that they have an extensively 
reliable network. It's it's plentiful, it's widely available, and it can offer a high throughput time. So those are sort of the key winning aspects for uh, within the two-wheeler swapping space. Now, what about the those those stations where or the or the, the you know the location where the batteries are charged? Uh, your report makes the the point that they can become like an independent energy storage facility, and uh, and we see a, a lot of that uh, the uh, discussion in North America and Europe about mm-hmm. electric vehicles uh, being used as, for grid balancing. Yep. And, and it, it seems to me that these facilities would actually be better than uh, and easier to integrate into the grid than, a, you know, individual uh, cars uh, parked in people's garages. Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest uh, sort of uh, fundamental issues with uh, trying to connect our EVs to the grid is the fact that there are these grid codes in various different regions which you need to be compliant with and of course with our with our cars being uh, you know not stationary it's very hard to implement these grid codes within the cars but what happens with stationary infrastructure take your dc chargers your battery swap stations they are perfect candidates to adopt this sort of v2g technology and so it it's while this technology is you know it's just it's fairly young and you know we've been not seeing commercial rollout of battery swap stations feeding electricity back into the grid. There are pilot projects occurring all across the globe where um, these smaller stations are trialing and seeing if they can sort of use their onboard battery storage as a way to uh, fill those peaks and troughs in electricity demand throughout the day uh, by partnering with various utility companies and uh, various uh, um, uh, distributors. So yeah, that's definitely, again, a potential application for this technology. but it is still in its in its younger sort of trial stages. So I'm fascinated by the application of this technology to uh, fleets of, of, of cars. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would have, of course, there'd be corporate fleets in, in some cases, but taxis seem to be a big application here. And uh, you want to keep one of the defining features of an electric vehicle, a big, a huge benefit is the more you drive it, the, the, more, the lower the cost per kilometer. So if you're a taxi driver, you want to have your vehicles out, uh, you know, 24 hours a day working would be would be ideal. And of course, if you have to charge it on a regular basis, then you're taking a a time away from earning money. Battery swapping seems to uh, to get around that. Uh, Is that and I understand that China is already doing some pilot projects with big fleets. Yep, absolutely. You're right. Um, So. We're seeing cities like Beijing in China, where essentially with legislation, they are trying to phase out all the petrol and diesel taxis to become fully electric. And what that means is one, a a rapid rollout of charging infrastructure, but two, also a quick um, sort of throughput time. You need to be able to put these cars back on the road ASAP. And that's something that is just not achievable even with the highest charging rates in today's industry. So, that's essentially where battery swapping is trying to fill the gaps. And we're seeing, um, again, China spearheading this movement by implementing battery swapping technology across various fleets. So one of the biggest sort of prominent players in this field is Alton, who's the biggest sort of third party swapping service operator in China. And they've essentially standardized uh, a battery pack, which is used across various different taxi models. And uh, what that's enabled now is, is the use of these uh, taxis across Chinese cities where 
they essentially have no downtime. Like, like you said, they can continuously run throughout the day. And uh, when they are running low on, uh, on charge, it, they, it's as simple as driving into your nearest swap station, getting your batteries swapped out, and then off you go on to pick up new customers. So yes, it's, it's, it's a really interesting sort of uh, business model that they're using there. And it's definitely shown to be um, quite economically favorable as well for, for these taxi companies uh, with, of course, the higher uptimes that they have. Now, I'm curious about the, the mechanics of this, how it actually works in real life, because sure. I see on a two-wheeler, uh, you know, if I have my electric bike, for instance, uh, the battery's relatively small, I can unclip it, I can, I can put it in, in the vending machine, take out the, the other one, put it back on my bike, it's probably under a minute. Mm -hmm. But uh, a car battery that you'd, you'd find in a taxi is much bigger. And it yeah. seems to me to be more awkward and, and more difficult, more time consuming. Uh, so how are they getting around that? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so that's something that uh, was sort of our focus with our ID Tech X research. Um, we tried to look into the mechanical componentry of these swap stations. How exactly is this huge battery back from underneath the vehicle being unclipped and a new one being put in. And what we came across was, uh, you know, by examining various patents, by way by speaking to various players, is that they're all using some sort of uh, standardized, you know, lifting mechanism. They're using high voltage uh, and uh, um, quick disconnectors for uh, batteries, battery packs that are cooled uh, using uh, some sort of water channel. And uh, so essentially these swap stations have a lot of different mechanical componentry inside. Uh, and that's the reason their cost is so high. But uh, if I was to sort of break down um, what each one does, that would take too much of our time. But essentially, yes, there is a lot of mechanical componentry inside these swap stations and uh, they, they serve various functions. So, um, you know, you start with your rollers that sort of align the car and make sure it's placed correctly. Then you have laser guided nut runners, which like, you know, go underneath the chassis and they know exactly where to unscrew the battery pack from. and Another interesting aspect within this is that, uh, you know, the companies are also differentiating themselves, the swapping players are differentiating themselves based on this componentry. So some are offering a very quick swap time of say just under a minute by using light, lighter battery packs that aren't uh, necessarily water cooled. So you have one less connection to worry about. Uh, but then there are also companies like Neo who might take just about three minutes to swap a battery, but then they're, they're, they're replacing a much bigger battery that is also using a water cooled channel. And then they're using various different locking and unlocking mechanisms. So, um, you know, one might use um, some sort of mechanical actuation, whereas the other player might use some sort of electrical act actuation. So loads of different things happening within that field. And, uh, again, with the use of trolleys to sort of transport these batteries from under the car to the actual warehouse where they're charged and stored, um, loads of different componentries um, and loads of different opportunities for lots of players to get involved in the battery swapping space. So yeah, um, that the whole breakdown of these swap stations is definitely something that's very interesting and uh, is something that we can study extensively. Is, uh, is, is this model uh, in China leading to a greater standardization of the the equipment around the battery and the battery itself like i can see if if you're uh that you'd want you ha you'd have to have standard batteries uh yeah. in in order to keep an inventory uh levels reasonable and so on so are, are we getting to a greater standardization here um that's an interesting question so 
currently, if I had to answer your question very briefly, battery swapping is very brand agnostic. So what I mean by that is that, yes, there's standardization, but it's it's brand specific. So yes, NEO, for example, has started using specific battery packs, standardized battery packs across all its models, which is a big ask for an OEM, right? Because you're trying to essentially build your cars around the similar battery pack design. Um, but then you also have players like Alton who are a third party swapping service operator. So they don't make any cars, but what they do make is the standardized battery pack and the standardized swap station. And then you have all these bigger various Chinese auto OEMs all the way from car manufacturers, van manufacturers, truck manufacturers who are partnering with Alton using their swapping platform, using their standardized battery packs to implement that technology. So really, if, if I had to answer your question very briefly, I'd say that the standardization that we expect on a global level isn't there yet. But yes, we are starting to see standardization within the within the battery packs from each company that's involved in this space. Let's talk about the heavy duty uh, transportation space and medium and, and heavy duty, I guess. And the one I want to ask you about, first of all, is, you know, the class eight, uh, at least a class eight in North America, you know, the semi truck. Because sure. it seems to me that this would be a really good application because the, the, the truck itself uh, could be designed so the battery pack is easy to get to. <laughs> so even if it's heavy, uh, if it's easy to get to, then you can design the machinery, uh, machinery to, to, uh, to quickly change it out. And you could have these, you know, you could have these long haul truckers uh, who might only come in, you know, and, and five minutes to change a battery, then they're, yeah. they're back out on, on the road again, or, you know, so uh, where are we at with uh, the sort of the long haul heavy duty uh, trucking segment and battery swapping? Sure. Um, again, with regards to the heavy duty battery swapping, it's again, something that's China is spearheading where we aren't seeing a lot of this technology trickle into other nations or the countries, but um, where we are seeing major activity is again, China. Um, and what they're doing there essentially is um, they've again, standardized the battery pack. Um, the big battery manufacturers, Catel, um, have built a, a very standardized swap enabled battery pack for the heavy duty segment. And uh, they've even generalized where it's placed along the whole frame of the big uh, class eight semi truck. So it's essentially behind the cab in front of the trailer. And uh, by, by standardizing the battery pack and the placement, they've been able to design the swap stations that can essentially pluck these batteries out using cranes from the top and then swap it out for uh, a new battery. And uh, so, yeah, while it, this sort of application exists, um, it's something that again, China is trying to spearhead with, uh, with certain companies and partnership with certain companies. Um, we are seeing a lot of uh, different startups uh, come up here and there with their own innovative technologies. So there are consortiums across Europe who are trying to now, um, um, you know, trying to introduce swapping for the long haul trucking segment uh, by, by again, trialing various different swapping methodologies. There's one that we recently came across uh, from Australia, they're called Janus Electric, where uh, they're trying to essentially um, replace where you would have the traditional ICE engine in a truck uh, trying to replace that bit with the battery packs. So your truck would open up from the front where, and what would originally reveal the engine is now revealing a set of batteries, which are uh, then replaced using forklifts. So really all kinds of various solutions being experimented in the long haul um, trucking segment. But what's shown the most sort of promise is still the Chinese solution where the use of standardized battery packs, standard placement along the 
frame of the, the truck and standardized swap stations is something that uh, we see the most promise for. Well, this, this sounds like the battery swapping in the heavy, medium and heavy duty uh, segment uh, really has advantages for vehicles that need to be on the road, you know, 24 hours a day or, or close to it, like a, a long haul truck, whereas say a delivery van, uh, you know, or a garbage truck, that sort of thing, where maybe it's, it's just working during working hours, and then it can sit in a, in a garage, sit on a, in a, you know, a, a standardized kind of charging uh, station uh, back at, at base. Uh, might still lend itself to to being uh, charged overnight and not battery swapping. Is that a, a fair observation? Yep, absolutely. Uh, one of the one of the key conclusions we make in our ID Tech X research is that for the heavy duty segment, we see battery swapping uh, as a first of all as, as a complementary solution. So it's going to exist alongside your traditional charging solutions. But also in the within the heavy duty segments, it's only ideal for applications that require continuous operation with very little downtime. So like you said, um, delivery vans, garbage trucks, things that could necessarily charge overnight will continue to charge overnight. But applications where you require that 24-7 operation, say mining scenarios or um, like you mentioned, um, um, uh, other scenarios, uh, they, they, would, they would require battery swapping uh, and that would be the sort of winning uh, segment there. The, the, the big question, this will be the, the final question for you, Shazan, is will the models that are emerging in China, uh, will, what are the, the likelihood that they will migrate eventually to Europe and North America? Sure, and I think that is the burning question now that the whole industry is asking within battery swapping. So while there's a lot of skepticism surrounding the technology in both Europe and the US, you know, uh, we've learned a lot from China's blueprints when it comes to electrification. Um, we're seeing a lot of these Chinese car uh, startups come and sell their models in Europe. So we are seeing Neo trying to break into the European market. They've tried to set up their swapping stations there, but unless there's that sort of backing by the government legislation, unless there's the, the, the money being poured in by government bodies, unless there's demand from consumers, we see this technology being having major, major uh, sort of uh, implications and hurdles before it can be widely adopted in, in the US and Europe. Um, and that's purely because unless these uh, European and American automakers are willing to sort of open up and share and collaborate on standardized battery packs, battery swapping is just something that cannot be implemented. And uh, unless that can be done first, this technology will still remain niche and will still remain dominant in, in the China region. So ultimately, I think um, while China is showing us how it can be done, uh, it's very much up to um, local OEMs and government bodies across uh, the states and across Europe to take up, take up this technology and realize the benefits. Well, Shazan, thank you very much for this. Really appreciate your insights. Cheers. Thank you.